Hello and welcome to part two of this Scottish Government podcast on the European Commission's proposals for the Common Agricultural Policy 2014 to 2020. This is the second of four parts which covers the content of the proposals in pillar one of the CAP. That's the direct payments and the market support mechanisms. The European Commission's proposals for the new direct payment regime would split the system into two. There would be a main scheme which would apply to most farmers in most member states and would have five elements within it. And then there would be a simplified scheme available to small farmers. Before we go and look at those in detail, we should first work out who's going to have access to the new system. The Commission proposes that all entitlements under the current system, the single farm payment, would expire and new entitlements would be given out to give access to the new system. On the Commission's assumption that the new system would start in 2014, entitlements would be given to farmers who meet two criteria. First, they must be actively farming in 2014. But secondly, they must also have activated at least one single farm payment entitlement in 2011. The reason for that second criterion, the 2011 rule, is that some member states have lobbied the Commission to say that they're concerned about the impact of new entitlements on the land market. They're concerned that between now and 2014, landlords who have previously been renting out their land might take it back in hand in order that they, and not their tenants, get access to the entitlements in 2014. And it's for this reason, to stop this happening, that the European Commission has proposed this so-called double-gate approach with rules applying to 2011. Anybody who didn't qualify under those two criteria for entitlements would be eligible to apply for entitlements from the National Reserve. The National Reserve would be funded by making a one-off reduction of 3% of the pot of direct payment money and allocating entitlements out using that, giving priority to young farmers under 40 who had started farming in the last five years. 3% is envisaged as the maximum, however, the proposal says that if necessary, then that 3% top slice could be increased if that was needed to meet demand. Now, the criteria say that the farmer must have been active in 2014, but what defines an active farmer? In the Commission's proposals, an active farmer is defined as someone who meets an income test and an activity test. The income test says that the amount of CAP direct payments being received must be equal to at least 5% of that farmer's income from non-agricultural sources. That is, unless the direct payments are less than €5,000. The Scottish Government's view on this test is that it sounds like a lot of bureaucracy and red tape for very little benefit. There are some Member States who have lobbied the Commission hard to say that in their systems, non-agricultural businesses, such as pension funds and utility companies, are receiving a lot of agricultural payments, and they think this is a bad thing. Well, that may be the case, but we're concerned that this proposal for an income test would introduce a lot of red tape for very little benefit in Scotland, and therefore we're arguing that it should not be imposed on us. The second test would be an activity test, and by contrast we're very happy that this has been introduced. The current rules of the CAP say that farming activity is defined as either growing crops and keeping livestock, or keeping land in good agricultural and environmental condition. The problem we've had in Scotland is that there are many areas which remain in good condition on their own without any human intervention or active land management. And we'd like to be able to avoid making farm payments on land which isn't being actively farmed. The new proposals add a new activity test which says that on land which remains in good condition on its own, the member state or regional authorities 
can impose a minimum activity threshold without which no payments would be made. So this is a direct response to Scotland's lobbying and we're very pleased to see it in the proposals. Now let me go through the five elements of the main direct payment scheme as proposed by the Commission. The first element is known as the basic payment and the basic payment can be paid across Scotland as a whole or we can split Scotland into regions provided we do so on the basis of objective criteria. The pot of money available for the basic payment is worked out by taking Scotland's total direct payment allocation and then deducting the amount of money that we want to spend on the other elements which I'm about to describe. Some of those elements are optional and therefore the amount left in the pot for the basic payment is likely to be somewhere between about a half and two-thirds of the total direct payment sum, which is currently about £500 million a year in Scotland. The Commission's proposal is that ultimately the basic payment will be paid out entirely on an area basis. This means there'll be a fixed amount per hectare, which is the same on every hectare within a given region. However, the Commission accepts that this will be quite a big change from the current historic base system and therefore it proposes a transition over the period 2014 to 2019. In the first year, 2014, the Commission hopes 40% of the basic payment must be paid out on an area basis, but the remaining basic payment can be allocated according to people's historic single farm payment receipts. And there would then be a transition from that position to, by 2019, a system in which all the basic payments were area-based with the same value for every entitlement within a region. The second element of the new main scheme is the so-called greening payment. The Commission proposes that 30% of the total direct payment pot should be allocated to these greening payments. However, these would not be optional for the farmer. Every farmer who applies for the basic payment would also have to undertake the greening, even though the greening payment is separate. The Commission proposes three greening criteria. The first is on crop diversification. The Commission says that anybody who has more than three hectares of arable cropping must have a minimum of three crops in order to avoid monoculture. The smallest crop must cover at least 5% of the arable land, and the largest crop must be no more than 70%. The Scottish Government's view on this is that whilst we understand that in some parts of Europe monoculture is a problem, and therefore we understand the desire to improve the environmental quality of land under monoculture, nonetheless in Scotland we don't have a problem like that. Therefore we'll be looking to amend the crop diversity rule so that whilst delivering good environmental benefits, it doesn't impose unacceptable limitations on cropping practices in Scotland. The second proposed greening rule is on permanent grassland. Now, you might not be aware of it, but there's already a requirement that member states have to maintain the level of permanent grassland on their territory. At the moment, that rule applies at member state level. The new proposals would transfer that and make it a farm level requirement to retain permanent grassland as declared in 2014. The Scottish Government's view on this proposal is that we accept that wholesale ploughing up of permanent grassland would be a bad thing environmentally, but we don't see serious risk of that in Scotland. What we do see as a potential problem is that the Commission's proposal defines permanent grassland as anything more than five years old. But in Scotland, we know that there are many areas which are regularly reseeded at rotations longer than five years. So we've made it clear to the European Commission that we could only accept this rule on condition that it didn't disturb our well-established long rotations for reseeding grassland. The third greening proposal is known as ecological focus areas. Here, 
the Commission proposes that on each farm we should calculate the area of arable and temporary grassland and then calculate a figure of 7% of that area and require each holding to have so-called ecological focus areas equal to that 7% area. Ecological focus areas could include buffer strips, fallow land, landscape features and so on. This is not the same as set aside because the Commission proposes that existing features can count towards the 7% and even features on the permanent grassland area of the holding. However, the Scottish Government does have concerns about this proposal. The devil will be in the detail and it's not yet clear from the Commission how much of existing landscape features would be able to qualify and therefore how much land we could potentially be taking out of production. And at a time of food shortage in the world, we're concerned about whether that's a good policy. So to receive the basic payment and the greening payment, farms would have to meet all three of those greening requirements, except for organic farms. Recognised organic farms would automatically qualify for the greening payment. The third element of the proposed new main scheme is a top-up for young farmers. This would be a top-up which it was compulsory for member states to apply. It would be a 25% top-up of the hectare payment under the basic scheme and it would be paid up to a limit on the number of hectares. That limit would vary between member states up to a maximum of the average holding size in the member state, which in the UK is 54 hectares. To qualify, farmers would have to be under 40 years of age, and the payment could only be made for a maximum of five years after they set themselves up in farming business. And the top-up would be funded by top-slicing up to 2% of the total direct payment pot. The Scottish Government's view on this is that we're very keen indeed to help new entrants get into farming, but we're concerned about how restrictive the proposed rules seem to be. A new entrant who's over 40 surely deserves some support and doesn't deserve to be shut out completely from this system. Therefore, at the moment, we're arguing that this top-up should be optional and not compulsory on us, so that we can negotiate the detail of it, and if it works for Scotland we can use it, but if it doesn't we wouldn't be forced to. The fourth element of the new regime would be headage payments, or so-called coupled support. This element would be voluntary for member states or regions to use if they wished. In Scotland we have coupled support at the moment in the form of the Scottish Beef Calf Scheme, which is made under the so-called Article 68 of the current legislation. The proposed new coupled support would replace not only Article 68 schemes like ours, but also those schemes which predate the single farm payment, the suckler cow premium scheme, the sheep annual premium scheme and so on, which some member states have still taken the option to continue using. The new coupled support would be limited to payments necessary to maintain levels of production rather than increase them, and there would be a, an overall headage limit on the number of animals on which the payments could be made. And the funding for this would be taken by top slicing, in the case of Scotland, up to 5% of the total direct payment pot. The 5% limit would apply to all member states who are currently using less than 5% for their current coupled payments. Those member states currently using more than 5% would have a higher threshold. The Scottish Government's view on this part of the proposal is driven by the Brian Pack inquiry, which said that Scotland should have the option to use up to 10 or even 15% of the budget for this kind of payment. That's therefore what we're asking for, although of course we have to remember that the more money we spend on this coupled support, the less is available left in the pot to pay out as the basic payment. The fifth and final element of the proposed new main scheme is a top-up for areas of natural constraint. 
area of natural constraint is the new proposed designation for LFA. And in part three of this podcast, I'll say a bit more about how land will qualify for the designation. This top up would be voluntary for the member state or region, and it could take up up to 5% of the total direct payment pot. The member state or region would be able to decide whether to pay it out across the whole of the area of natural constraint or whether to limit it to certain more restricted areas according to objective criteria. But perhaps the most crucial element of this is that this proposed new Pillar 1 payment for areas of natural constraint would have to be taken into account when you calculate how much support to pay in the same areas under the Pillar 2 area of natural constraint support, which will be the successor to the LFAS scheme. So those are the five elements of the proposed new main scheme. However, there would also be additional rules that would apply to farmers receiving large payments. The Commission is very aware that there's regular criticism in the media for individual farmers receiving very large amounts of money from the CAP. And therefore the Commission proposes a series of progressive reductions in large payments and an overall cap. The payments would begin at €150,000, with a 20% reduction for any payments between €150,000 and €200,000. The reductions would then step up progressively until €300,000, at which point an overall cap would apply. However, the greening payments would be exempt from this reduction and capping mechanism, and also farmers would be able to deduct any payments they make as salaries or other costs of employment, so as not to penalise large farms which employ a lot of people. And the proceeds of this reducing and capping mechanism would be transferred within the same region across to the Pillar 2 Rural Development Programme, where they would have to be used to pay for innovation programmes. Now, the Scottish Government's view on capping has traditionally been to oppose it because it works against efficiency of farm production. However, we need to treat these latest proposals with a bit of perspective. It's difficult to predict exactly how big the impact would be on Scotland, But our best estimate is that a very small percentage, maybe less than half a percent of Scottish farmers, would be affected by the overall cap. So when we take our final view on this part of the proposal, we'll take careful account of what will happen to any money that it raises and how big the real impact is likely to be within Scotland. Now, I've described the five elements of the main scheme under the Commission's proposals, but I also said that there would be an alternative small farmer scheme that's available, which I'll now describe. The small farmer scheme would be compulsory for member states to offer, but it would be optional for the farmer. The farmer would have to take a one-off decision in the first year of the scheme, 2014 the Commission hopes, whether to go for this or the main payment scheme. The small farmer scheme would be funded by taking up to 10% of the total direct payment pot, and farmers opting for the small farmer scheme would receive not a payment per hectare, but a fixed lump sum, which would be set somewhere between 500 and 1,000 euros. And this fixed lump sum would be in place of all the other payments, including the coupled payments. And so a small farmer would not be able to take the option of the small farmer scheme and still claim the headage payments. Farmers taking part in the small farmer scheme would be exempt from the greening rules and exempt from the cross-compliance rules. The European Commission is very keen indeed on this small farmer scheme. As you'll have heard, under the proposed main scheme, there would be five elements replacing the current two elements that we have in Scotland, the single farm payment and the beef calf scheme. And therefore replacing two with five can hardly be described as a simplification. 
and therefore the Commission is very keen indeed to have a small farmer scheme because it sees this as the major simplification, especially because small farmers would be exempt from cross-compliance. The Scottish Government's view is that whilst we welcome the simplification of the small farmer scheme, we're not sure how useful it's going to be in our setting. We have a significant number of recipients who get less than €1,000 of single farm payment, but it's by no means automatic that they would want to take part in the small farmer scheme. And we're worried that we may be therefore forced to implement this scheme without getting very much take-up. So at the moment, the position we're taking is to say that it should be optional rather than compulsory on the Member State. And that way we can decide later whether to make use of it or not. That's the end of the description of the proposed new direct payment system. And finally, in this part of the podcast, I'll say just a few words about the remaining part of Pillar 1 of the CAP, the so-called market measures. We sometimes forget about these because they've reduced in importance over recent reforms of the CAP. Europe has moved away from a position where it used to try permanently to intervene in markets to manipulate market prices in favour of a system of safety net support only. The current proposals would continue that system, but they would introduce a new provision for emergency measures that could be triggered in the case of a market crisis, for instance, if there were an animal disease outbreak. The proposals also include the final removal of the milk quota system. The decision to remove milk quotas was actually taken some years ago in the CAP health check. Some member states weren't happy and have been fighting a rearguard action against it, but these proposals confirm that the quota system in the dairy sector will finally disappear. And indeed, the proposals also include a similar phase-out of sugar production quotas. The Scottish Government's view on the market measures package is that we're broadly content. We're happy with the move to a safety net approach, but we think it's very important that emergency measures are available in the event of a market crisis, and so we're pleased that provision has been made for that. That's the end of this part of the Scottish Government podcast. Part three of the podcast will cover the rural development part of the proposals.